It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. And they want to know why and how our rookie orientation series surges forward today with Josiah DeGuara. Mark Schofield from USA Today, Touchdown Wire, is here to talk about DeGuara. He is someone who I think really nailed the pre-draft evaluation of DeGuara, at least in terms of what he saw relative to what the Packers saw when they drafted him in the third round. I think there are a lot of misunderstandings out there about what the Packers drafted DeGuara to do. There was this idea right away, oh, he's a fullback. And when Matt LaFleur invoked the name of Kyle Juszczyk, there was a lot of derision aimed at the Packers for the pick. Brian Gutekunst has since clarified that they believe he is a move tight end who can block, not a fullback who can catch or an H-back who can catch. I think the idea here is to get a player who is multiple, who can be a factor in the run and pass game, who can play in the backfield, can play in line, and can play in the slot. Someone who makes it easier to play two tight ends and disguise what you want to do. Someone who makes it easier to go to 12 personnel or even 11 personnel with a single tight end and still execute any play in the playbook. That is what DeGuara is aimed at being for the Packers. And I think if we viewed him more as a pass-catching player, not as a fullback, but as someone who could impact the passing game in a meaningful way, I think the, the pick would be viewed differently as a whole. Now, whether or not they got good value in the third round there, that is still an open question. Uh, I think there are convincing arguments about whether or not he would be available if the Packers had waited, considering the Patriots' aggression in getting tight ends at that part of the draft as well. Uh, but that all of that part of it, I think we're quibbling. Uh, if you get a player who can make your team better, uh, that helps. Now, value, we can we can discuss that and we can argue about that if we want to. Uh, but for the Packers, they picked a player that they think fits what they want, and that scheme fit, at least for them and for any team, 
has some sort of intrinsic value, uh, how much, certainly that is something that remains to be seen. Before we get to that conversation, though, I do want to bring up something relative to the receiver draft and the pass catchers that the Packers did or didn't take. And a few weeks ago, I'd written something for Acme Packing Company where I looked at a group of receivers who met the Packers' specifications in terms of the physical profile. And what I wanted to do was cross-reference that physical profile with some important statistical indicators. In this case, dominator ranking, which is a measure of target share and touchdown share and those kinds of things, and then breakout age. And these have been, over the years, reliable indicators and projectable numbers when it comes to college into the NFL. When you look at the 2020 receiver class, and this is something we talked about pre-draft, this is not you know, the, the sort of justification that you, know, you could engage with post-draft to say, oh, this was a good draft, this was a bad draft. No, we talked about this before the draft, that the number of players, even in what was considered to be a deep receiver class, was actually smaller for the Packers because of the preferences that they have. So if you take their traditional athletic profile, the thresholds that they have, they believe in size, at least above a certain level, they believe in speed, at least above a certain level, and they believe in agility, at least above a certain level in terms of an athletic profile. And I said, okay, let's take that and let's cross-reference it with Statistical indicators that project forward. In the college game, those indicators are target share, their touchdown share. You can put them together and create a, a historical indicator that has been called the college dominator ranking, and it is successfully predicted players who have been good versus players who are bad. In fact, it, it tends to be a reliable cutoff point. If you don't meet the specifications, it's quite rare for you to be an above-average NFL player. The same is true for breakout age. When you look at players who are only good, let's say their senior year, they're only good at age 21, 22, the rate at which they hit is much lower. So when you take the athletic profile and you take the statistical profile and you put them together, you only get eight players. And that is with me fudging Jalen Rager's numbers based on a video combine that he had to put together, a pro day that was taped because of COVID. He couldn't have a pro day with scouts there, and that's where he met their agility numbers. So when you look at this list, CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson are gone. Jalen Rager may or may not be a fair member of this list, but he was also gone by the time the Packers got to 26. Would have been gone, clearly, when they got to 30. Okay, Denzel Mims, LaVisca Chenault. They were both gone by the time the Packers picked at 62. Brian Edwards would have been on the board. He probably would not have been on the board had he not had a foot injury, but he had a significant foot injury. You break your foot in the pre-draft process, you're going to fall. No one can get your medicals. They cannot get their hands on you. That is part of the reason Edwards fell as far as he did. And then Taylor Johnson and Gabriel Davis were day three players. 
I thought Tyler Johnson was a day two player, sort of mid-day two in the 70s, 80s. There were some reported concerns about you know, his attitude, some very vague, nebulous stuff that was out there. Um, and, and obviously, I can't vouch for that information, but it was reported by people who actually know things, people who have been right about this stuff before. Uh, and, and then Gabriel Davis was a fourth-round pick and probably was you know, a three- to four-round type player. So all of a sudden, the deepest receiver draft class ever doesn't look so deep. And you say, okay, well, they could have traded up. They could have gotten Denzel Mims. Yeah, that's true. And and they could have gotten Denzel Mims pretty easily, actually. They would have only had to move up a handful of spots. They had more than enough capital to do that, even without their fourth-round pick after trading up for Jordan Love. But the reality is, in the top of the first round, Brandon Ayuk did not meet the statistical markers. Michael Pittman Jr. did not meet the statistical markers here. Now, whether or not the Packers care about those things, it is the case that they have been shown to be reliable indicators. So while I liked those guys and believed in them as prospects, statistically speaking, they have a lower probability of hitting than players that I mentioned on this list. And therefore, it makes sense at least to view it through the lens of, well, the Packers passed on some players, but they passed on some riskier players. And that part of the equation is important when we're talking about whether the Packers made smart or unwise moves in the NFL draft. And speaking of making smart or unwise moves, if you're looking for quarantine snacks, the best thing you can do is reach for the best tasting protein bar ever and that's Built Bar. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, not chocolate mixed with garbage. This is real food that also tastes delicious. It's perfect for the health-conscious person in quarantine. Lose or maintain your weight while indulging in a delicious treat. It is the best of both worlds. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, what more could you be looking for in a snack at this point? Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. And if you're looking to make an impact on more than just your taste buds, there's no place to do that better than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where you can make all of that happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself what's your warrior and text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. All right, let's get to our conversation with Mark Schofield. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. That's S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. He writes, for the Touchdown Wire, along with friend of the show, Doug Farrar. And he knows things. He knows a lot of things. He's very smart when it comes to evaluating players. And the main reason I had him on is because he was all over this Josiah DeGuara evaluation. Mark, thanks for joining Locked on Packers. Oh, Peter, great to be back with you. It's been a while since we chatted. Um, obviously, look, Green Bay Packers. Did a couple of things over the past couple of days, Peter, as I'm sure you've been diving into <laughs> over the past 72 hours or so, but always a good time to get caught up post-draft, a lot of picks to get to, and I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Uh, we are going to spend most of our time focused on third-round pick Josiah DeGuara, who I think I spent the first draft show we did talking about him calling him Joseph the entire draft. Just like that, I think, tells you everything you need to know about yeah. the, re- I mean, the readiness look, we're, we're, that we had for this pick. We're all running on fumes. <laughs> I mean, we all got maybe two or three hours of sleep Thursday night, two or three hours of sleep Friday night. I mean, yeah, we're we, we're all working on what we have left in the tank, and it really isn't much. So <laughs> I've been filled with mistakes too. I mean, I wrote a piece. I did a piece for Matt Waldman's RSP where I graded all the quarterback picks using Peaky Blinders quotes, and I called <laughs> Tom Hardy Ed Hardy throughout the entire article. <laughs> like we're, we're all like just dead on our feet at this point. So Joseph Josiah, the tight end kid, whatever you want to call yeah. him, I'll figure it out. Well, what was your quote for, for Jordan Love, not to put you on the spot? So, so this is one of the few quotes, Peter, that is actually good for a family show because Peaky Blinders look a lot of not safe for work content. <laughs> but the what I used for the Jordan Glove quote, it was a, a, a moment when Luca Changretta meets Alfie Solomons and Luca injures, I'm Luca Changretta. And Alfie says, oh, yeah, I know who you are. You're a bit of a failure, aren't you? You come all the way over here in this country to kill Tommy Shelby. But I mean, well, he's not dead, is he? And so that's the one I used. And it sort of is an allusion to the idea that they're drafted a replacement for Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers is still here. You know, he's not dead or anything. Like, he's not going anywhere. And so it gets to sort of the dichotomy and the relationship factor that's going to be in play for the Packers over the next season or two or three or beyond um, between their potential quarterback of the future and Jordan Love and the guy that they still got who's very much still here in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think one of the things that it looks like they are moving toward and and it is a style of play thing, it is a philosophy thing, and they drafted players, I think really all three players, to fit a specific ideology. And the DeGuara pick to me is really what ties it all together. Because as you pointed out in your evaluation of him, he looks like he can do a lot of the things that the 49ers and before that the Ravens asked Kyle Juszczyk to do. Matt LaFleur made that same illusion in a post-draft conversation. But then Brian Utikins told Larry McCarron for, for Packers.com that, look, he's going to be more than that. He's not going to be a fullback, H-back. He's going to be a tight end who can be used as a blocker, someone who can play a little bit of everywhere. So when you evaluated him, what were the traits that you saw that led you to say, this guy can fill this specific role? Well, I think one place, Peter, to start is you look at the test and the metrics and all of that. You go to mockdraftable.com and you pull up you know, just Josh Jaguara and you see the immediate college use check comparison like they're they're very similar to where you know when Jusek was coming out of Harvard you know they're very similar athletes very similarly built players but when you see how Cincinnati used him you know they used him as an H-back at times they moved him around a little bit they used him as a lead blocker at times you know there were elements to his game that didn't fit the traditional tight end in line line up next to the tackle you know 50 snaps a game kind of player and that's part of the reason that it's often difficult to evaluate tight ends for tight ends to transition to the National Football League, you know, because the NFL asks them to be that traditional, you know, inline type of player. And they don't really do that, mm-hmm. you know, in the college game. In the college game, they're usually asked to be used much like DeGuara was at Cincinnati. You know, and I think he was used about 60% of the time as an inline player, cloned to pro football focus, but that other 40, he was moved all over the place. So he has that versatility. But I think what I liked about him 
was that if you wanted to use him in that traditional mold, you know, you could. You look at his game against Ohio State, for example. He had some one-on-one reps against Chase Young where he handled himself pretty well, both in pass protection, although at times he had help, and as a run blocker. And so there's at least that idea that if you wanted to, say, make him into the all the you know traditional tight end type player, you could do that. But when you see in that other 40% of the time was a guy that you could use more of as a piece around the board. You could use him, like they said, at fullback. You could use him, like they said, at H-back or in the win or in the slot even. And he gives you that flexibility. And I think it is important, and I know we're going to talk about some of the other picks, to sort of take a step back because we all – and I was guilty of this just as everybody else was on Thursday night sort of overreacting to the Jordan Love pick. And then when you see over the course of the rest of their draft rounds and selections how they're piecing together an offense, you see that they have an ops, an absolute idea of where they want to be and how they want to run and how they want to look conceptually over the next couple of years. You know, Because last year this was a team that – Use that 21 personnel group, two running backs, uh, you know, one tight end, two wide receivers on 25% of the time, 218 of their snaps, which is one of the higher percentages in the league. You know, actually, that's their 12 personnel. 21 personnel is 15% of the time. Again, a very high percentage. So you're talking about either using two tight ends or two running backs on, you know, 40% of your snaps. That's a pretty high percentage as far as teams go in this league. And so you're yeah. looking at a scenario where they want to have multiple tight ends or they want to have multiple running backs. They want to have that flexibility. They want to have the ability to sort of give that defense a reason to stay in base and then either attack them through the air or if they decide to stay light, you know, against a 12 personnel package, you can still run against them. You know, that's part of the, you know, the matchup type game that Matt LaFleur wants to play. And so Deguara gives you that ability and AJ Dillon gives you that ability. And so, you know, when you put those two, the second, third round picks together, it's that ability to dictate a defensive personnel package to the defense. And then whatever they decide to do in response to that, you can make them wrong because if they want to say stay base, you can still run against these guys or you can throw against those guys and Deguara can win in one-on-one situations against linebackers. Or if they go light, now you can run it down their throats. Yeah, and I think this is something that you know I've written about a couple of times this week already. You look at the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. They can, from their big personnel, whether it's 12, whether it's 21, whatever, even you know you want to get crazy, 22. The Packers ran a, a handful of 20 snaps last year, three receivers, two running backs, no tight ends. But the 49ers can call any play, whether it's a run or pass, and then any concept with their big personnel, Green Bay, couldn't do that last year because of the deficiencies Jimmy Graham had, because Jay Sternberger wasn't healthy, couldn't get on the field, and then you didn't have enough faith in guys like Jamal Williams to you know, compete as a receiver, so now you're limited. With these picks, it seems to me anyway that now you're saying, okay, from heavy personnel, it can be run or pass, and that creates so many more mismatch problems for you defensively. Someone like DeGuara, it doesn't matter where you put him, he can, he can do what you need him to do. That seems to me that that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying here. And, you know, we know that the NFL is a copycat league. Mm-hmm. And I, I know in, you know, poking around the internet, poking around corners of Packers <laughs> Twitter. Dangerous. That there's some, it's dangerous. But look, I'm coming from Patriots Twitter. So, I mean, both of those Twitter bases are a, a bit panicky right now. And it's interesting because there's angst in New England 
about the Dalton Keene pick, which was made. They traded up to the get back into the third round to make that pick at like 104, I think. Yep. They wanted to get the same kind of player, you know? And, and so the idea that, you know, maybe you could have passed on DeGuara and gotten him later, which, which is an idea that I've seen bandied about. I don't know if you would have gotten past New England in that scenario. I, the, the Patriots were looking at that same kind of player. And if you the Patriots took two down, of those kinds of players, they took two yeah, tight ends Devin in the third round. Too. Yeah, and I I think if you're in an organization, it's chasing down the same sort of holes that the Patriots are going down, while everybody else is looking elsewhere. You're probably on the right track, you know, because there is this sort of idea that the NFL is cyclical, and while everybody seems to be moving towards this spread them out, get athletic, get speed on the field kind of designed for your offense even for your defense now as everybody gets lighter and smaller and faster there's a potential lane to exploit where in response to that you get just bigger and more powerful and you could do that with multiple tight end packages multiple running back packages and so if all the defense has to put out there are speed guys you can exploit this sort of economic inefficiency of everybody chasing the speed rabbit hole and get powerful. Which is exactly what the Packers defense got yeah. exploited doing last year. They wanted to play small with Mike Patton and a team like the 49ers just said, okay, we're going to run it 30 times and well. you can't stop us. The Titans went to the AFC Championship game doing that and the Ravens went 14-2 and doing that. So you're right yeah. about the, the cyclical nature of this. I, you brought up A.J. Dillon and so let me ask you about A.J. Dillon. He was a guy that uh, it fits exactly what you're talking about. He's huge. 247, but ran uh, four five burst score, you know, upper 90s. Any any metric spark relative athlete score that you want to put, he is high 90s uh, percentile of a player. He's not just a plotter; he's got some juice. Yeah, he does, and you know, he tested so well. And I don't know if people really should have been surprised by that because you did see yeah, it. I was just going to ask you if you were surprised, like. You saw some of the burst. You saw some of the lawn speed. You know, we thought that going in, maybe he was going to show this because we showed it on film. And then the four, five, three with a with a ten yard split of one point five three, which is ninety third percentile. And then when you get a forty one inch vertical, you know, and again, it, it shows that explosiveness. He had a very good combine, and I, I think what's impressive about him is that you look at everywhere he goes, every way he attacks a defense. He gets you four yards per attempt or more. Yeah. I mean, PFF's draft guy, they have it broken down by every sort of gap you can attack as a running back. And from outside the left tight end to outside the right tight end and everything in between, it's 4.0 yards per attempt or more. You know, he's a powerful downhill runner. You know, he's probably, you know, an inside zone gap power. He's not somebody you probably want to run outside zone with, although he can do it. But he gives you that ability to attack anywhere up front and be dangerous as a ball carrier with the lawn speed to turn plays into potential home runs. And I know that, again, there was angst. You added him to a, a potentially crowded running back room with Aaron Jones, with Jamal Williams. Well, I think Dylan is an immediate contributor anyway. And both of those guys are in the last years of their contract. And so come 2021, he might be your featured guy. You don't have to worry about, you know, if both Jacobs – and Williams leave in free agency, either having to overpay on the open market or making sure you hit a home run with your running back pick that you have to force next year. Like 
the job of the front office is to make sure that you can be consistently competitive year in and year out. And Dylan can certainly contribute in 2020. Deguara can certainly contribute in 2020, but both of those guys are also an eye to what they might be like in 2021 and beyond. Did you have a comp for Dylan as you were going through the draft process? You know, a lot of people, when they looked through his film, they saw Brandon Jacobs. And I think you could see a little bit of that. Oh, I think Dylan runs with better pad level. Jacobs was really an upright ball carry. And I think Dylan yep. has a bit better pad level. Um, but I think that comp makes some sense, particularly when you see the power behind it. I think that Dylan's a bit quicker, a bit faster. But I can understand why people went down that road with him. I My take was sort of, healthy pre-weight loss problems, Eddie Lacy. Yeah, I can see that too. I mean, Peter, I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, you know, powerful runner with some some speed behind him and the ability to, to make a lot of plays look better on film than you thought when they first started going, given how the blocking set up in front of them. I think people forget that like in 2014, Eddie Lacy and even 2013, Eddie Lacy was ripping off chunk runs, that he had a lot more yeah. juice in those legs than, than I think a lot of people realized even at the time. So... I liked it from that standpoint. Anything else stand out to you from this draft, whether it was day three, whether it's lingering Jordan Love thoughts? I mean, in terms of the Jordan Love situation, and I know that's probably where a lot of people tend to go first when they think about this Packers draft. Can't I can't mean, imagine I th- why. I can't imagine why, Peter. I mean, it's not like everybody <laughs> jumped to the conclusions. I mean, I was on a live show when that pick was made, and before the next pick was turned in that next card was turned in like the takes were already flying on what this means for Aaron Rodgers and where he might end up and like people just went from zero to 90 on that selection mm-hmm. I think they flew right past 60 of, right to 90 right past 60 I mean it was <laughs> you went from the side streets and quiet town USA to the Audubon the exactly it was incredible but I think if you take a step back and look at this in terms of what it means for Jordan Love you know, forget about what this tells us about Aaron Rodgers and yada, 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 that side of the story. This is perhaps the best landing spot for Jordan Love because Jordan Love mm. has talent, has incredible athleticism, has elite arm strength. I mean, he has a lot of the things that you want to see from a prospect, but he needed some time to figure out the decision-making process. He had the 17 interceptions and he said all the right things at the Cedar Bowl when he told us about him at the Combine, when he told us about him again. They were learning lessons. They were mistakes he's going to learn from. But he still needs to figure out the decision-making process. And if you dive into his 2018 tape, there are still mistakes on there. So he needed a chance to sort of learn and figure out that part of the game. He's going to get that both from observing Aaron Rodgers and from Matt LaFleur because LaFleur does have a track record of quarterback development. He was part of that team that turned Jared Goff into what looked like a first-round bust into a guy that you can at least get to the playoffs with. He might not drag you there himself, but they made him a much better quarterback over the course of a season or two. And LaFleur was there for that first season out in L.A. And so there is that track record of helping a quarterback figure it out, helping that young quarterback develop. And so from Jordan Love's perspective, I think this is an ideal landing spot. Now, you can extend the camera lens and look at it from a more, you know, bigger view picture and say, well, what does this mean about the team? What does this mean about Rodgers? Those are discussions for another time. I think from Jordan Love's perspective, this was almost an ideal landing spot. I don't know if he could have found a better spot, maybe Indianapolis or something like that, for him to sit, learn, figure it out, and be in the right situation where when he does get the job, he's in a better position to succeed as a result. Yeah, worth noting, Matt LaFleur also in Washington with RG3 
and Kirk Cousins, and then also in Atlanta when Matt Ryan had his Destroyer of Worlds 2016 season was the quarterback there too. Brian Gutekin said when they hired Matt LaFleur, one of the reasons that they were really interested in him was his ability to work eventually with young quarterbacks. And here we are a, a year after that that comment. The Packers have a young quarterback to work with. Mark, this was great. Uh, let my listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do. Well, Peter, thanks so much for having me. Always great to be with you. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Schoolfield. Write for pages like uh, Touchdown Wire, for example, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio, where that Peaky Blinders piece is. A couple of different SB Nation websites as well, uh, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and Pat's Pulpit, where I also host The Sco Show, which is a Patriot-centric podcast, but we talk about quarterbacks and other stuff there. But like I said, the easiest place is on Twitter, at Mark Schoolfield. Thanks, Mark. Let's do it again. Thanks so much, Peter. Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network, and I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season, and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big-time bonus, and all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats you can pick from. Main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft, and you can even play private contests with your friends. And there's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel, and that's what I love about it. Experience season-long wins without the season-long wait. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right i want to thank mark again for joining the show great to talk to him and we still have our kamal martin uh, rookie orientation series next week. We will still do our orientation series with the offensive linemen on day three. I still want to get in those those guys because they have the potential not only to make this team but be contributors down the way, especially someone like John Runyon Jr. is someone who I think has a good chance to not only make this team but be a contributor in the future. So I don't want to shortchange anyone. Plus, I mean, let's be honest. What else are we going to talk about, really? I mean, what? We're a long way from football, although we did get some good news. New York, Governor Cuomo said that that the plan was if they want to have sports without fans, they could do that starting in June. Governor Newsom in California suggested the same kind of thing. So it looks like 
we are going to have sports in 2020, or at least we're going to try to have sports. Hopefully the numbers continue to cooperate in terms of the, the COVID-19 virus, the way that it has spread, the way that we have flattened the curve, the reduction in cases, the vaccine work, the treatment work, all of the outstanding research and development that's being done, the work at governmental levels, and, and the, the effort that you are putting in to stay safe, stay home, and, and stop the spread as best you can because we all want football. We all want to be able to watch the games, and of course we all want to be there for the games, but the most important part is that the games are played, and if we can do our part to make that a little bit easier, then it makes sense for us all to be doing that. So that is all good news. Of course, we will stay up to date on all of the information that we can around the NFL. They have not said much to this point, but of course, as they do say things, we'll make sure to discuss it on the show. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm always trying to keep you up to date there at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, remember we're doing our What If series. I already got some submissions on the What If series, so send me those ideas, questions, ideas you've had. Oh, what if this happened? How would things be different if this Send me those questions. You can send them on Twitter, send them on Facebook, or you can hit me up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.